It was Manfred Kober who wrote these words, The thrilling event of the eternal creator God becoming man will always be shrouded in mystery. The Apostle Paul, in reciting perhaps an early Christian hymn, expressed the event thusly, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's 1 Timothy 3.16. Other mysteries in connection with the Incarnation have excited, interested saints since the first Christmas day. The identity of the Magi, for instance, and the appearance of this mysterious star that we just read about have perplexed sincere minds for the past two millennia. It was the evangelist Matthew who relates that at the time of the Nativity of the Lord, there came wise men, and the word for that is magi, from the east, to inquire after the newly born king of the Jews. They related to King Herod their intentions to offer the royal infant presence and to worship him. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them directly even to the very house where the Messiah was. And it's there where they presented him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you know, every Christmas season, we naturally return to these portions of Scripture, such as Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. And it's, it's right that we do that. We study the prophecies of Christ's birth, and, and we seek to exalt the Lord Jesus as the center of Christmas in opposition to the many distractions that the world offers in the name of the holiday season. It is good, it's right that we do this. But I I try to approach it like this, and I want to encourage you as well, every time we come to this season, to ask the Lord to teach us something new about himself. And it's not to find something clever or novel, that's not what it is. But it is amazing that when we go over these scriptures, scriptures that we've read seemingly countless numbers of times, that there are still layers of meaning and things that the Lord wants us to know about himself. And the Lord takes the circumstances of our life and his word and weaves them together to help us and to teach us. I was pondering this as we think about Matthew's account of the Magi, or the wise men. Do you ever stop and think, now why why did Matthew record that in his gospel? I mean, stop and think for a moment. Who was Matthew trying to reach with the writing of his gospel? The Jewish people, primarily. I mean, obviously the gospel's for all, but, but he was targeting the Jewish people. And so we ask the question, well then, why include the the record of the wise men? I mean, we realize there's lots of things that actually happened that never got into Scripture, right? And the things that did get into Scripture was because the Holy Spirit led the writers to do that. And so obviously the Holy Spirit wanted that put into Scripture and led Matthew to write it. But from the human point of view, If you were trying to convince a Jewish audience of the the truths of the Messiah, that Jesus is the fulfillment 
of the promised Messiah, would telling this story, true story, about Gentile astrologers help you with your thesis? Okay? I mean, that's kind of like where I'm coming from this morning and, and trying to think, what was the Lord wanting us to learn about this? Because it doesn't perfectly fit with what Matthew was trying to say to the Jewish people. What did Jewish people think about Gentiles? Not much, right? Okay, so we know that. And so also, uh, who were these magi? They're, they're, there's not a lot of information here. Um, you know, we sing the song sometimes, We Three Kings, out of tradition, but they weren't really kings, were they? The word is magi, and we know this has to do with um, scientific research, uh, astrology, kind of a mixture of the studying of the stars and, and maybe some pagan religion. These weren't exactly the, um, the people that you would expect. And so today we want to look at God led the Magi to visit the newborn king of the Jews to show that he had come to bless the Gentiles too. Does that make sense? The, and, and then what about the miracle of the star? What kind of star is this? And the message of their gifts, combining to complete the truth and the scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is where we're headed. What was the meaning of the visit of the Magi? The miracle of the visit of the Magi? And the message of the miracle, of, of the message of the visit of the Magi. So that's, that's where we're headed. The meaning, the miracle, and the message of the visit of the Magi. Okay, so you got your Bible. You're looking at Matthew 2. Let's look again, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, the Magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Here we find the meaning of the visit of the Magi. And I want you to kind of meditate on this with me. First of all, we notice the contrast of two kings. Now, it's not the three kings that we uh, think about as the wise men. There's two kings in this context, right? There's King Herod and who else? Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so it's the Magi that contrast two kings. And here's Herod, who's an Idumean, you know, part, partly backgrounded with uh, Edom and Esau's... Uh, genealogy and things like that. But there's Herod who has the Roman authority over Judea, kind of a puppet king. But he does claim to be king, and these magi come to him, at least come to the city, maybe not immediately to him, but they come to the city of Jerusalem and they start asking the question, where is this newborn king of the Jews? What were they thinking? You come where there's a king and you say, where's the new king? I mean, you know, you think, just think about that for a minute. And eventually they do have this face-to-face -face, uh, time with Herod. 
And so I think we all know that kings do not tolerate rivals very well. And so the text says, Herod was troubled. You think that might have been an understatement? You know, he makes the point there. And so the contrast of two kings is Herod versus the newborn king of the Jews. But notice the question of the three magi. Notice verse, verse 2. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, I made a statement a moment ago, and I was wondering if anybody caught it. How many uh, magi were there? More than one is the right answer, right? I said the question of three magi. But was there really three? We don't know. That just comes out of tradition. But we do know there was more than one. Who knows? Could have been 20. Could have been 10, 5. It doesn't say. All we know is it was more than one. It was plural. And so strike that statement about the three magi because we don't know but all we do know is there were three gifts, and that's where we got the tradition. But what about these plural magi making this request? In essence, they were saying something like this. We've come from a faraway place, and we've come to see this notable personage who we believe to be the newborn king of the Jews, and we would like to worship him. That's pretty much what they were saying, right? from their questions. Think what is packed in this question. Why would they do this? Were they from Israel? Would this be their king? This must have been some spectacular thing in their mind to move them to travel so far. Now, we don't know exactly where they came from. And again, there's speculation about that. And we have to be careful about speculating. But at the same time, we have to ask the questions of the text, what does this mean? They had obviously come to see a very important person in their minds, the newborn king of the Jews. When it says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, when the king's not happy, nobody's happy, right? And we know before this chapter is over, there's a terrible story of sorrow. We may not get to that this time, but I think you know what it is, and it's heartbreaking. But we move from the contrast of two kings to the question of the Magi to the consultation of many scribes. Answer to the question is found in the Scriptures. What was the question? Where is Messiah to be born? Where is the King of the Jews to be born? Well, the scribes got together, and they said, Hmm, I think there's a verse. And they said, he's to be born in Bethlehem. Verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The theologians knew the right answer. But you know what's amazing about this? None of them went the five miles to find out if it was true. 
these magi, these Gentile astrologer slash scientific type seekers have arrived to say, we've seen a spectacular thing. We've seen a star. Now, apparently they had seen it and then it wasn't visible for a while because it says it's going to reappear in a moment. But um, the theologians of the day, the scribes, the priests, as they're called, were able to answer the question, but not interested in whether it was true or not. So what about the meaning of the, of the visit of the Magi? The visit of the Magi. Why did Matthew include it? Is there a lesson for us? And, and what can we piece together? Well, they knew something about the king of the Jews, so they knew something about the Jewish people. Uh, they knew to come um, to the land of Israel. And what brought them, by their own testimony, was this spectacular star, which is part of the mystery of this story. Now, could it have been that during the Babylonian captivity, when the children of Israel were carried to the east, that maybe some of the scriptures were taken there? Again, speculation, we don't know. Uh, remember, Daniel was in Babylon when he was reading Jeremiah's prophecy about the 70 years. So we know Jeremiah's prophecy made it to Babylon with Daniel. Uh, could Isaiah, could Micah have any of these other scriptures possibly have migrated with some of the people um, by, the, by the time of uh, Jesus' birth? Perhaps God supernaturally spoke to these magi because we're going to see in verse 12 at the end of this section that they're warned in a dream and we're assuming the dream is from God. Again, we're making a, an assumption there, but uh, the dream came from somewhere. Somehow they knew a great king was to be born and that the king of the Jews was no ordinary king. And so God led them to follow a star. So why is this passage in the Gospel of Matthew? The answer is, they were Gentiles. And the Gospel is for Gentiles too. That includes you and me. That's an important part of the Gospel. And so do not miss the fact that this is in what we call the Christmas story, the, the birth records of Jesus, that Gentiles came and worshipped Jesus when he was born. This is an important part of the gospel, that it's not only for Jewish people, but for all. The Apostle Paul later would say, we're neither Jew nor Greek, Gentile, but we're all one in Christ. Well, that leads to a second thought. The miracle of the visit of the Magi. If the meaning is because they were Gentiles and the gospel includes Gentiles, then what was this mysterious star all about? I'm, I'm suggesting this is a miracle that we're talking about. Notice verse 7. It's mentioned again in verses 7 and 8. It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, 
And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Um, Here in these verses, Herod summons the wise men. And he's he's secretly saying to them um, what he wants to know about, what their mission is, and so on. And he finds out how long of a period of time since they had seen the star. Apparently, it had appeared to them less than two years before, according to verse 16, because that was the rationale for Herod to kill the males who were two or younger. And again, this is a big uh, window of time. The star had led them hundreds of miles, perhaps over a thousand miles. By, by saying, um, I don't know if you noticed in the, back in verse 2 where it says the star, the ESV says when it arose, the King James Version says in the east. And the, the words literally mean when the rising. But that phrase came to be known as the east because the sun appears to rise in the east. And so it could be translated either way. But um, they said w- when the star arose, it was around two years, apparently. It doesn't say in this verse exactly how long. Maybe it was much less than that, and King Herod just exaggerated it. We don't know. But my question is, was this some kind of magical thing? Was it a miracle from the Lord? Could this have been a natural phenomenon? And so we, we have to ponder those thoughts. Was this something that God did directly, or God allowed it to happen? But notice what it says in verse 10. When they saw the star, or wait a minute, verse, uh, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It sounds as though the star had reappeared. And again, this points to the idea that this is God doing this, that it had to be a miracle. I was looking at kind of um, the various attempts to explain this down through the ages. For instance, there's a famous astronomer by the name of Kepler who died in the year 1630. And so he was you know, doing all the mathematical, astronomical calculations, and he said that in 7 BC there occurred a conjunction of planets, Jupiter and Saturn, in a uh, zodiacal constellation of Pisces which happened to be a sign that was connected through astrology with the Hebrews. Now, I'm not a student of astrology, of course, so I don't know all the ins and outs to that. But Kepler himself preferred the view that it was a supernova. And so, he's, you know, as an astronomer, he's trying to explain how might this have happened naturally. And so he was searching the records and history and doing the calculations a supernova is um, um, when a faint star explodes and it gives off this enormous amount of light in kind of an erratic fashion. So he was thinking, well, perhaps that's what happened. Others have suggested it was Halley's Comet, 
And yet, you know, according to the calculations, Halley's Comet would have passed around 12 B.C., and so the timing of that does not fit. And not only that, the ancients did not consider a good omen of of a, a comet going by. They always looked at that as something negative. Here's another kind of off-the-wall kind of thought. Robert Gundry, who claims to be an evangelical, I really question that when I read his commentary, but uh, he wrote in his commentary entitled um, Matthew, a commentary on his literary and theological art. He he thinks that Matthew just invented the story. How's how's that for a Bible believer? I mean, this guy claims to be a, a Bible... I mean, he's a Bible scholar in a seminary. But he says, Matthew invented the story by taking Luke's account and trying to insert some things that would have attracted certain people of the day. I just, I don't, I can't understand that, and I can't accept that kind of thing. You know what most scholars say about the whole idea of this star? We don't know, therefore we should not speculate. (laughs) Well, maybe that's the right answer. I don't know. But, you know, I know it's dangerous to speculate, But what, as I read this text, I would see that the Lord was behind this. This looks to me like a miracle. Not some magical thing from the dark world of evil, but the hand of God leading these Gentiles and perhaps not even using His natural creation, but creating a spectacular, special, luminous type of thing. You know the word star is uh, the word aster. That's where we get the word astronomy, astrology. It's used of any luminous, non-terrestrial body other than the sun or the moon. So it could be what we technically would call a star. could be maybe a, a planet that's reflecting light. But could it be that God did a miracle? I mean, God obviously had a purpose to bring these wise men to the Lord Jesus. And, you know, as you go back in Scripture and think about this for a moment, remember the Shekinah glory of God? Go back to Genesis 15, for instance. Remember when uh, God had already promised what we call the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12? But in Genesis 15 is when they cut the covenant. Remember he put Abraham to sleep and they... Cutting a covenant, men, sacrificing these animals and cutting them in half and then walking down between them in the ceremony, which meant if I break my promise, you can cut me in half like we cut these animals in half. It's kind of strange, but that's kind of how it worked. But, but, but God did this with Abraham, only he put Abraham to sleep so he couldn't go down through the, uh, the ceremony with the animals uh, laid out and everything. But God passed through with what looked like uh, a pot of of, uh, incense and kind of gave this manifestation of himself like he often would do. What about Moses? What did Moses see in the burning bush? He saw fire burning, right? Later on, the children of Israel in the wilderness wanderings. God displayed himself to them. How did he do it? Through a pillar of cloud and day, pillar of fire at night. He used different 
ways of showing himself. He used physical manifestations to show his presence. What about the, the tabernacle? There was smoke. What about uh, up on uh, Mount Sinai? There was smoke and fire and lightning, right? What about in the temple when uh, the temple was established? There again was, was smoke and, and these visible manifestations, the Shekinah glory. And you know, the sad ending of, of that thought is in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, there is a um, four-stage departing of the Shekinah glory from the temple. It's in Ezekiel 9.3 and 10.4 and verses 18 and 19 of chapter 10 and chapter 11, verses 22 to 23. We could go back there and study that, but, but in the book of Ezekiel, when God finally said Israel's unbelief was to such a state that he was removing his glory. The Shekinah glory moved out of the temple and out of the land of Israel. And you know what direction it went? To the east. It went to the east. And you know what what did God say was left? Ichabod. The glory has departed. And so the last time the Shekinah glory was seen from the book of Ezekiel. And it was not seen again until the Christ child is born. That same Shekinah glory was the glory that shone all around when the shepherds heard the angel and then the angelic choir appeared. And the shepherds were overwhelmed because The glory, the Shekinah glory of God surrounded them. And it's very likely that this same kind of manifestation is what God used to draw the Magi to his son. It says, after listening to the king, in verse 9, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What kind of a, of a star does what this star did? If they were from Babylon, let's say, they would have had to travel around the Arabian desert through the uh, Fertile Crescent, which more or less follows the Euphrates River, right? That could be anywhere from 600, 900 to 1,000 miles, depending on exactly where they were from. And to follow that area would have meant going north, northwest, west, south. What star that we can think of would lead a person that's walking on the surface of the earth like that? You know, Diana and I walk around at night in our neighborhood, we're looking at that amazing moon that we had the last week. Anybody see that? You've got to go outside at night to see this stuff, okay? But that moon was amazing. But what, what kind of strikes me is, you know, our neighborhood has all these windy roads. And, and so we're on one side of the road and the moon's over there. And then we get to our house and the moon's over there. I was like, how'd the moon get from over there to there? 
Well, it's, you know, just perspective, of course. I'm being silly, but, but, uh, but how in the world could a star lead somebody a thousand miles to the exact spot if it wasn't God doing it? That's my thought. Well, there's still one more thing. This passage gives us one more very interesting thing to think about. Not only why is the Magi story in the Scripture, because they were Gentiles and the Gospels for Gentiles, and that there was this amazing, mysterious star that points to a miracle from God. But notice what happens in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. How many times have we read this passage? Have you, you've read it before, right? How many times? You don't even know how many times, because we've read it and read it and read it. But just a couple of observations, first of all. The message of the visit of the, of the Magi has to do with the worship of Jesus, the worship of the heavenly king. Now note some of the details. They entered a house, not a stable. Now, we've pointed that out many times, and you know that. So in other words, a period of time has elapsed from the time that the shepherds saw Jesus the very day he was born, right? Remember that the, the angel said, today, today the king is born. And so the shepherds saw Jesus as the brand new, newborn brephos, is the Greek word in Luke 2. But here it's a, it's a paideon, it's a, a child. And that doesn't tell anything about the age. It could have been, he could have been a month old, two months, three months, all the way up to possibly a year. But somewhere in there, and, and again, we don't know. It doesn't tell us how old. It just says he's a child a paideon, not a brephos, not a brand new in, newborn infant. Notice they saw Mary, his mother, but Joseph is not mentioned. And again, speculation, where was he? Maybe he was out working to pay for the rent or something, but he's not there. And, and notice it says they fell down and worshipped him, not them. As some try to say, you know, the worship of the mother-child uh, ancient pagan religion that has been brought in in Christian history at some point. They worshipped him, not them. It wasn't Mary receiving adoration and worship. It was Jesus. Only the Christ child received worship. And who is worthy of worship but God alone? And Matthew makes that point in this passage. But again, why did we think all down through tradition that there were three wise men? Because of the three gifts. And again, this doesn't prove anything. But the gifts serve to be symbols. Notice it says they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now this is all random gifts, right? I mean, on their way in, they stopped at Walgreens. And thought, you know, we need some gifts, so let's pick up the... No. They had already come with a plan. First of all, to offer gold as a tribute to a king. 
They had already referenced him as the king of the Jews. Think about how important gold was in the worship of Israel. You remember how the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid in gold? The lampstands were made of pure gold. The altar of incense was overlaid with pure gold. King Solomon eventually had the entire sanctuary overlaid in gold. Gold was and is the most precious metal known to man. It will be present in the new heaven and the new earth. Think of that. There's going to be gold in eternity. Gold is fit for a king. So they offered gold for a king. But what about this frankincense? Frankincense is mentioned many times in the Old Testament. It was one ingredient of the sweet perfume or incense that was prepared for use in the sanctuary. And according to Exodus 30, it was never to be used in that mixture for private use. You read about it in Exodus 30, 34-38. You were not to mix together the frankincense that was the type used for worship. You were not allowed to use it for yourself. In fact, anyone caught doing it was cut off from their people, which meant condemned to hell. Frankincense points to the deity of Jesus. It was to be used in offering to God prayer and praise, never to man. And so these magi, these Gentiles who came from the east by some leading of the Lord, by this miracle, mysterious star, somehow recognized Jesus as worthy of a king and possibly even as God. And then there's the myrrh. If gold represents tribute to a king and frankincense pictures prayer and praise to God, what is myrrh? The word myrrh has the idea of mourning, of grief. Myrrh was a bitter spice. Remember, it was used for burial when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus prepared Christ's body for burial with myrrh and aloes. And so the whole idea of mourning and bitterness, is that something you would offer as a Christmas gift? Here, have some myrrh. That's what you have when someone has died. We do not know if the Magi had any inkling that Jesus was going to suffer for sins, but somehow God led them to include this bitter spice used for burial in their gifts. By the way, Moses in the wilderness taught the children of Israel to prepare a holy anointing oil. According to Exodus 30, 22-25, this holy anointing oil was used to anoint the tabernacle, the Ark of the Testimony, the table and its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. And guess what? It had myrrh in that. So, the Magi, whether they understood the meaning of these things or not, offered all the symbols of worship and tribute that perfectly applied to the Lord Jesus Christ as our suffering Savior. One more amazing thing before we're done. In verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The source of their revelation was a dream. The text seems to assume that God was directing them through a dream. Again, it doesn't say that. We have to be careful. 
But that seems to be the reason there. Later on, Joseph is going to have a dream from the Lord. And so the text kind of helps us to lean that way perhaps. But again, we're on uh, weak grounds there. Do you know what's going on in uh, the world right now? Many Muslims are coming to Christ. And you know how they claim that they're finding out? Through dreams. That is another, whew, something I, 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 I even don't even like mentioning it because God uses His Word and warns us against these kinds of things that were used by the Lord before His Word was complete. But that doesn't change the fact that we have some difficult things to answer out there. And it's got to be careful about limiting God and how things are done. I stand on the Word of God as God's final revelation. So everything needs to line up with that. So what have we been saying today? The visit of the Magi. What was the meaning of it? The Gentiles are included in the scope of the Gospel. And the miracle of their visit was this incredible star that seems to be a miracle from God that may even relate to the Shekinah glory. And of course, the message through their gifts was that the Lord Jesus Christ is both God and man who came to suffer for our sins. Here's some principles to live by. Number one, the Magi came to prove that the scope of the gospel includes all Gentiles and all people groups. And I know you know that, but maybe this Christmas we just needed another reminder that the Christmas message is about the gospel, which includes Jew and Gentile. Secondly, the miracle star that led the Magi to Jesus is a reminder that God controls all miracles. You realize that? There's no one who has the ability to offer a certain ritual or a certain mantra to make a miracle happen. Miracles happen when God does them. And we need to keep that in mind. And thirdly, the gifts of the Magi, as we said, illustrate the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder for us, what have we offered in the sense of gold and frankincense and myrrh? Reminding that the Lord is a king, that he's truly God, and he came to suffer. And so now Jesus, the king, the son of God and the savior, rules and reigns from heaven. And someday he's going to return for us to reign with him. What a day that will be. Amen? And so, the visit of the Magi was for us. It was for our benefit, our blessing, our teaching that we might worship Jesus all the more. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to gather today. And Lord, as we've looked into your word once again, may we only remember those things that are clear from your word. And Lord, help us as we try to understand. We know there's difficulties in the word of God, and we sometimes have to humbly say we just don't know but thank you for the things that we do know. Thank you that Jesus did come for all people to be our Savior. And so we bow and worship today.
As we close out our time together, I pray, Lord, that you would meet with us. You would be evident in our fellowship today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.